What I'm talking about tonight is for every child of God. It is very important that you believe that. It's not just for a few special people. The kind of relationship I'm talking about is living in God's presence every moment of every day. When we came tonight, you may be excited, you may be expecting God to speak to you, and any time we humble ourselves, the Bible says that we get fresh grace. We need grace, that's for sure. But some people only humble themselves when they've got a problem. And their lives are just a series of ups and downs. They are inconsistent. And let me tell you now, if you continue to do that, there's going to be some serious consequences. You're certainly not going to get to know God the way that I teach. You're not going to have that closeness with God. You're certainly not going to hear His voice clearly. You're going to have to get a consistency. God likes consistency. He's not interested in things that we promise tomorrow. Remember when you talk to God and you say, God, I'll change, I'll make an effort tomorrow. He's already in tomorrow. You're wasting your time. He's, he's, he knows what tomorrow is. To him, tomorrow's already happened. Okay, so you're wasting your time trying to make false promises. You've got to come to him clean as you are and admit your sin. Confess your sin, admit that you don't really trust him. There's areas in your life where you're deficient. And I'm talking about not only coming in God's presence, but learning to abide there. You should be living a lifestyle where you do not need to go through some kind of routine to get yourself in the presence of God. You should be living in the presence of God every day. You know that those that I train around the world, they have to report to me on a weekly basis how much time they are spending in the presence of God on a weekly basis. And it better be at 100% very soon or you're in trouble with me. Okay. Okay. There is nothing can separate us from His love. Yes? But there is something can separate us from that close communion that we can have with the Lord. And it's just one thing, not ten things. Just one thing. What is it? Sin. Not any kind of sin. What kind of sin is it? Personal sin. Your sin. You cannot sin for me and I can't sin for you. The only thing that separates you from God's holy presence is your sin. And you sang tonight, you said, all I need is you. Well, if you say that, you're going to have to be determined to deal with sin. Because that's the only thing that gets between you and your God. Okay, don't be a hypocrite. Don't come here just raising your hands. And when we raise our hands and we pray and we do these things, we can all feel the Spirit of God moving here. That's not a problem. That's a testimony to God's grace. But that grace will not continue. Let me tell you now, many charismatic fellowships and Pentecostal groups have started in the Spirit but ended up in the flesh. They were riding the grace of God. They were using the grace of God as an occasion to the flesh. And let me tell you now, I don't want that to happen to you. Because at that time it's too late then. Once you lose that grace, 
it's hard to get it back. Okay? So don't push it. The Bible makes it clear that the grace of God is not there so we can go on sinning. Okay? Everything in the kingdom of God has a purpose. And when you don't understand that purpose, you mess it up. Okay? That grace is there so you learn. Much easier to learn when the grace of God is still on your life. Don't be wasting time. While you feel that sweet presence, while you have that joy, that's the time to get your Bible open. That's the time to seek God. That's the time to dig deep and try to find out why you're not really close to God like you ought to be consistently doing every day. Years ago when I heard this message for the first time, and this is the early days, I didn't have anyone to help me, even my pastor, who was from a Pentecostal background, said, it's not possible. I didn't have anyone to encourage me. Even my wife mocked me and said, no, 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 no one can really hear God as fast as you're desiring. I wanted to talk to God face to face. I wanted Him to answer me instantly, like a best friend. I wanted that kind of relationship, you understand? I didn't have anyone to tell me it's possible. Everybody was doubting. In the church today, you go to many churches, they look more like they've been baptized in lemon juice. You know, we use that phrase. They claim to have joy, but their faces tell a different story. They should be filled with joy. The Bible says, in God's presence is fullness of joy. So that's how you know. It's the thermostat, and you should be monitoring your joy level every day. Life's problems do not affect that joy. Problems do not affect that joy. There's only one thing that affects the joy of the Lord. What is it? Sin. Your sin. Personal sin. So you need to be sensitive. Some of you have sinned against the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of the older ones here. And you don't realize how serious that is. I'll tell you my testimony. I sinned against the Holy Spirit when I was just born again. I had that honeymoon period, we call it. The honeymoon period. And I lost the joy of my salvation. You know why? Because I sinned against the Holy Spirit. That's a serious crime. Maybe you don't realize how often you are sinning against the Holy Spirit. You need to check your spirit. Because every time you sin you should feel a grieving of the Spirit. If you do not feel that now, I think you have seriously sinned against the Holy Spirit. He hates sin. You understand? And if you continually sin against the Holy Spirit, your spirit gets harder and harder and harder. And now you can't hear Him at all. You've got to go back you got to be honest and go back through those things where you sinned against the Holy Spirit. And let me give you my example because I think this is one of the hardest things to detect. Especially when you're just beginning or maybe you're going through certain experiences in your life. And you start making excuses. You start saying, I can't help it. 
No, you can help it. The most important person in your life is Jesus. And with that, the Holy Spirit, who is the one who's going to help you become like Him. So you start working with the Holy Spirit. He's the only one who really knows how to get that job done. You are not authorized to get that job done yourself with your Bible knowledge. But by the Spirit of God, you are. If you try to do it in the flesh, you will fail. But if you do it in the Spirit, you will succeed. Now, like I said, years ago, there was a young man witnessing to me. He told me what Jesus did on the cross. And I heard the basic message. It was a bit more like a fire insurance policy. He told me I was a sinner going to hell. So this is your basic gospel, certainly in the time I was alive. And, uh, but he did say, I need to accept Jesus as my personal Savior, which I had never heard even though I've been brought up in church. It gives you an idea that I was from a very traditional background. But then, one day I did what this man said. I looked to the cross. I accepted what Jesus did for me there. I confessed my sins, and a wonderful thing took place in my life, and it should have taken place in your life, is I was born again. And at that moment, my life was filled with joy, peace, I had a wonderful experience, and the first thing I wanted to do was tell somebody. I went back to that young man who'd been witnessing to me. I said, I've got this joy, I've got this peace. I said, this is great, because he never told me about that. He just told me I was a sinner going to hell. So anyway, when I shared it with him, he looked very surprised, as if, now he said, calm down now, you need to, you know, he, I was too much for him, I could tell. But he asked me a series of questions, and then he finally came to the conclusion, I think you're born again. So, you know, some people are like that. They, they use their mind too much. But I had the fruit in my life that I was definitely born again. And I, sh I started to uh, mix with this guy, and I noticed he said something when he was preaching. Now, this was a young man. He was the son of the pastor. This was from a Baptist church. Nothing wrong with the Baptists. And he was, uh, his father was not just a local pastor. He was the superintendent over all the churches in that area. So he should have been fully qualified in doctrine. And to teach me and tell me the right thing. But not everybody tells you the right thing. You always need to check that what is being taught is in line with the word of God. So sure enough, he said to me, I asked him a simple question. I said, now you keep saying you need to make Jesus Lord and Savior. Okay, very simple. I know I've made him my Savior. Now what does it mean to make him Lord of your life? I just asked him that question. Not a difficult question. And this man lied to me. I don't like liars. You may be one. You just haven't found out you're a liar yet. But this man lied to me because he was believing a lie. When you believe a lie, you'll tell a lie. Stop being a liar. This man said to me what he knew. He told me what he had. You can only tell what you have. And this man said to me, all you have to do is read your Bible, come to church, pray, be faithful, come to all the meetings. If you do all these things, that will be just fine. That's a lie.
I hope you don't believe that doctrine. But some people do. They believe that lordship is just a series of activities that you have to do. I grew up having a wrong impression of God. I was afraid of God. And the devil is a liar. He's a chief liar. He takes things that are true but makes them into a lie. Or he takes things that are scripture. He takes scripture and he twists it so that you come to the wrong conclusion. He's very good like that. He's one of the best preachers going. Okay, He's in a lot of denominations. But the devil had lied to me. I picked up along the way a wrong impression of God. And to me, God was somebody who wanted everything. That's true. I don't know if you believe that, but God wants everything. He's not satisfied with just a small part of your life. He wants all. Okay? But that made me afraid. I was afraid to come to God and let Him have all. So when this man said to me, just read your Bible, pray, come to church, be faithful, I said, that sounds good. I was very relieved. I was a young man. I was 18 years of age. Great. That means I can do what I like on the weekend. Okay. And I accepted that. I swallowed it. Now, at that point, I felt a, a bad experience in my spirit. Because I remember that day. And I felt the Holy Spirit grieving in my spirit. You understand? I knew I had swallowed a lie. But I accepted it because of my lifestyle at that time. I accepted a lie. At that moment, without me being consciously aware, the grace of God started reducing in my life. You cannot continue to sin. You have to live in the presence of God and you have to make Him Lord of your life. So, I started losing the joy of my salvation. I didn't lose my salvation. I just, just lost the joy of my salvation. So, I'm just telling you now, when you stand before God, He will ask you many questions. But one of the main questions He will ask you is, Have you done everything I told you to do? That's it. He's not interested in your background, your bank balance. He's not interested in anything about you. He's only interested in that you do what He's given you the grace to get done in this life. And there is no excuse, no place to hide. Whatever He has required of you is quite acceptable. If you have a low calling, I suggest you rejoice. If you want, you can have a high calling like mine and you can meet me on the road somewhere you might not enjoy that so much okay but there is grace for me to do what I'm called to do but there is not grace for me to do what I want to do if you continue to live in immaturity all the things that God has planned for your life will be stolen let me describe immaturity to you might seem like freedom to some people in different cultures. But immaturity is simply described as having what you want when you want. That's immaturity. 
if you continue to live like that you will die you will not die physically but you will die spiritually slowly you know the most painful death is the slow death and if you die quickly everybody notices but the devil's been very successful in developing the slow death for the church so that they continue to live in that lifestyle of having what they want when they want when you came to Christ you're supposed to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior okay the Savior bit is very easy but the Lordship bit that is explained to us as something that takes a long time do you know the one who trained me made it in one day have you heard that report are they broadcasting that in all the churches they're not rather they're broadcasting the example of people who spend years and years and years fighting against God resisting his goodness resisting his grace and then end up finally after going through a terrible experience and finally meeting that place of full surrender and giving everything over to God and it takes them 30 years that is the main commercial on Lordship okay that's not going to be much fun for you when I grew up in the church let me tell you now the one thing that was really discouraging to me as a young person was that all the people in the church were telling me how long it would take for me to get to that place of maturity that place of intimacy and even they would say that's only for a few special people with a high calling on their lives that's not going to give you a lot of hope you're going to give up. You're going to say, hey, you can go and join another fellowship. I suggest if you hear that report in your congregation, go and join another church. But you might find the same doctrines in that church, okay? What I'm telling you today is that if you do a few simple things, you can make him Lord right now. And as long as you maintain those things and you're determined to pay whatever price it takes to maintain those things you will never have a problem with Jesus Christ being Lord of your life you're gonna have to first of all learn to communicate with God is that right he's not gonna be Lord of your life with you running the business from your head okay forget it that's old technology that's old teaching from the church okay you're going to have to learn to hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. There's a lot of people in the church today, they're born again. They call themselves pastors. They call themselves what they like. But they're not sheep because they don't hear his voice. All they hear is the voice of the Holy Spirit at best. But they don't hear the voice of Jesus. They don't even know the difference between those two things. They're so uneducated. And so stupid you need to go past that you need to get on to maturity understand what it means to walk with him so you you're working on that you have a wonderful book that will help you 
And those of you in this fellowship, it is a crime not to get this book. If you don't have this book, you need to repent now. Okay? <clears throat> so, make sure that you are working on your communication. Not every communication is the same. And you've heard this before, but we can have two tin cans and a string between it. That's communication. God can speak in many ways. He can speak through the Bible. He can speak through your friend. He can speak through your pastor. He can also speak through your enemy. He can speak any way he wants to speak. He is God. And he can, do an, he can send an angel to you. He can speak to you through a prophetic vision. Whatever he wants to do. <clears throat> so you just don't be trying to restrict the way that God speaks to you. But the best way. For the Father to speak to you is directly to your human spirit through the work of Jesus on the cross. The blood of Jesus doesn't just remove this, it doesn't just cover the sin, it removes the sin. It's not like the blood of animals. Okay, we don't have any similarity between the blood of animals and the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is, is not put on doorposts. We don't there's many charismatic fellowships that start spreading the blood everywhere. Okay? Those ones you need to be careful. They're uneducated. You're not supposed to do that. The blood of Jesus, according to the Word of God, was shed once. Not by you, not by me, but by Jesus Himself. And He went to the throne room of God, where you and I could not go because of our sins. And he shed his blood in the third heaven where the Father is, where the great throne room of God is. And in that blood, it removed my sin. Okay? Jesus paid the price. He did that. And it was only to be shed once and once and for all. The Bible says that. So don't be spreading the blood around like some charismatic Pentecostals. What you need to do is you need to understand that blood was shed by Jesus alone. If you want to benefit from that blood and have your sins forgiven, what do you have to do? Somebody tell me. What do you have to do if you want to benefit from the work of Jesus on the cross? Huh? Somebody speak up. 1 John 1 9. What does it say? 1 John 1 verse 9. Somebody say it. If we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let me try to make this as clear as I can. If you do not confess your sin, you will not be forgiven. Do you understand? I'll say it again. If you do not forgive, if you do not confess your sin, you will not be forgiven. Sin itself is not dangerous. What is dangerous is unconfessed sin. That's what's dangerous because it's still in you. 
We know that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Is that right? You believe that? He didn't just die for the ones in here. He died for the sins of all of the Philippines, all of my country, every person ever existing, past, present, and future. Jesus died for those sins, all. No one is excluded because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But not everyone is looking to the cross, are they? If you go to other religions, other countries, other peoples, they believe in their own righteousness. They do not see their sin. They're not listening to the Holy Spirit. They're not recognizing that they have to get to know a holy God. Okay? So they're just doing the minimum as far as they're concerned. They don't realize holiness. But you must confess your sin. So these people are going to go into eternity without their sin being forgiven. Okay? There's a doctrine in the church which I want you to be very careful not to follow. Okay? The doctrine says that all the church, everyone who's been born again, because they're born again, their sins are forgiven past, present, and future. That's an evil doctrine. Okay? That does not agree with anything in the Bible. There's no, there's no biblical basis for that doctrine anywhere. Okay? But there is basis for you, if you confess your sins, you will be forgiven. But if you do not forgive, if you do not confess your sins, you will not be forgiven. Do you understand? Okay, so just trying to make this as clear as I can. We know that there are certain situations where you will not be forgiven sin. For example, the Bible says, if you, can, if you do not forgive your brother, God will not forgive you. Is that right? You can read that in the scripture. Okay? So if you do not forgive your brother, God will not forgive you. There's another situation. The Bible says, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, also you will not be forgiven. Not in this life or in the one to come. So you're serious. There are situations where your sin will not be forgiven. Now this is not going to affect your salvation. You'll still be saved, but the Bible says you'll be saved yet as by fire. You like fire? Anybody here want some fire? You want to play with God? You better fear God, because He's going to roast you if you're not careful, some of you, okay? I don't, I don't fancy a roasting myself. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you can read about it. You can turn there if you like. In 1 Corinthians, you'll read it for yourself. This may be describing you tonight. Maybe you're a carnal Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Every man's work shall be made manifest. Do you believe that? Oh, only one person believes that. I'll say it again. Do you believe this? Yes. It says every man's work will be made manifest. Which means that you are not going to 
get away with doing something and God doesn't know about it. It's recorded. You're either working in the flesh or walking in the spirit. One of the two. I see a lot of people who don't believe that. They're doing things in the flesh. And they seem to think it doesn't matter. It matters. Okay? Every work will be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Not this day. This is the time to repent. Now, this is the time to change. You know the Bible says there is a, a place of no repentance. Do you know that? There is a place of no repentance. On that day you can repent a hundred times and you will still not get any relief. It's too late then. Don't push it. Okay? This is the time to get right with God and make sure you're doing the will of God. For those of you who are new to this, you must understand that the only work that I can possibly do that has any value is a work that he has prepared for me beforehand ahead of time. The only way I'm going to get to know what that work is is to get in a condition I can hear his voice. Do you understand? I've got no hope of sitting down with my Bible, going to Bible college and trying to learn it myself with my little brain and trying to come up with a plan for my life. No way. But if I humble myself and I learn the key to hearing his voice, I can find out what he wants me to do in this life. Okay? So that I've got to be working on now. It says, because every day will be made manifest, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So, you, you know, you're not going to hide. You're not going to say, I was really in the Spirit. God will know whether you're really in the Spirit or not. If any man's work abides, he sh that, that he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Verse 15 says, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. That's not a good way to go. But if you waste time and you find out at the end of your life you still got some unconfessed sin in your life, you still did works of the flesh, they will be burnt off you. Okay? Now, I hope you don't intend to arrive like that. But if you push it, that's what's going to happen to you. So I'll give you a choice. Choose wisely, the easy way or the hard way. Which one do you want to choose? The easy way is just confess your sins now keep yourself clean, Have make the priority your relationship with Him. Not with other people, not with your wife or your husband, not with your business partnership, not with your boss at work. Your priority has to be the Lord. And if you are sinning against the Holy Spirit, now is the time to get right with Him. I don't care what other people think. Those people are not going to judge me in eternity. Do you understand? They are not going to affect how I'm going to live the rest of my life. I'm only here for 70 years. Maybe. Maybe 80. Maybe 90. But that's it. But I'm going to spend eternity with the living God. So I don't want to do something that's going to cause me loss 
Now, would you like me to take some money off you? Would you like that? Does that feel nice when somebody takes, say, like 2,000 pesos off you? Do you like that feeling? You don't like that, do you? If I come and I take 2,000 pesos off each person, and I trick you and I walk away with your money, how does that feel? It doesn't feel very nice, does it? But what about if you have that feeling, and worse than that, for the rest of eternity? Because you didn't just suffer loss in terms of peso. You, you suffered loss in terms of all the privileges and benefits and things you could have had. Amen? So let's make sure we get a priority here. This is serious. We've got to tell ourselves these things. And sometimes we have to be reminded of this. It's not a comfortable word, I realize. But anyway. Now, another thing that I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to live in the presence of God. Okay? How many of you would like to live in the presence of God every day? Amen? It's good, isn't it? Okay? This is very important. And it's not something you're going to find necessarily easy. A lot of people may even discourage you with their unbelief. Some people say it's already done. But they still keep producing the works of the flesh. I mean, that's what you see in churches. They say, we're all living in Christ. But they do the works of the devil. And if Jesus was here today, he would say to the modern church, if you do the works of Christ, you're in Christ. If you do the works of the devil, you're in your own father, the devil. You can't tell me you're living in Christ and still doing the works of the flesh. You can't tell me that. If you are in Christ, the first thing that happens to you when you get in Christ is what? What's the first thing that happens to you when you get in Christ? You die. That's what you do. Because Paul said, do you not know that when we were baptized, we were baptized into his death? Some people spend their whole life in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. They get into Christ, they start feeling that death coming, and God requires you to die when you get in Him. They don't want to die, do they? So what do they do? They jump out. They unplug. Then they get back in the flesh, and they say to themselves, at least when I'm in the flesh, I'm in control. I feel safe now. I'm in control. You're not safe. The Bible says all sin is condemned in the flesh. So you're living in a condemned building at that point when you do that. So if you're not careful, that, that big, you know, in the, I don't know if you have it here, but when they destroy a building, they use a big chain with a big metal ball on it and they knock the building down with it. Yes? You have that here. Okay? These days they use explosives. We can do it either way. <laughs> Some of you may need explosives, I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> You've got to realize what you're doing. You're not getting safe. You're putting yourself in the firing line. What you've got to do is get back into Christ. Okay? You've got to get in Him. The Bible says, if any man, that's what it says, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. In the Greek, 
The word creation there, the way they use it is basically a new monster. You know, it's like the way it's translated is it's saying, if any man be in Christ, he's gone from being a giraffe to a monkey. Or he's gone from being one animal to another animal. He's a completely new creature. Now you can look at my face. You understand? Have I changed since you last saw me? No. I'm looking still handsome, aren't I? Okay. But you see, there is a new creation in me. You can't see it because it's not on the surface in the sense it doesn't change the facial structure. But it's inside. And there's different organs in me now. If you check me medically, I still have a heart, by the way. <laughs> I still have a mind. I, st I still have all these things. But they're reconnected in a different order. When I was born in this world, do you know that my brain was the number one? I use it all the time to make decisions. See, it was wrongly connected. Your brain is not number one. Your brain needs to be rerouted and reconnected so that Jesus Christ is the number one. Okay? So I am a new creation. I've got my organs are in a different structure to your organs. Your organs are still in the old way. When you make a decision, you make that decision without asking God. You just go ahead. You go home tonight, you turn the TV on, and you just do that without thinking. You are still the old creation. You have not become the monster that God wants you to become. <laughs> if you want to become the monster that's in Christ, then you have to now trust Him with all your heart. The Bible says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean to your understanding but in all your ways A double L all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths now that is not what the church is teaching the church says this is what the church says listen carefully the church says if you want God to direct your path say a nice prayer that's what the church is teaching. When I was growing up, I was brought up Pentecostal. But anyway, when I was brought up, they taught me that if I got up early in the morning, this was very important, they said, and you want God to direct your paths, what you had to do was get up early in the morning and pray. And they taught me how to pray. You know, some teaching is not good, but this was bad teaching. They said, what you do is you say, oh God, please today go before me in Jesus' name. They always said, in Jesus' name like that. I don't know why we had to say Jesus' name, but anyway. But you had to pray this prayer. And you asked him to direct your paths. And then you said, amen. You always said, in Jesus' name. Never worked for me. Now, I know occasionally I can testify that occasionally God would literally direct my path. Occasionally. But I was asking God in that prayer for God to direct all my paths. 
Not some of them, all. It was only a few things in my life God was actually directing because of grace. You were saved by grace through faith. You were not saved by faith alone. If you think you were saved by faith alone, you're a fool. There was many things in your life that you didn't understand when you were born again. I'll come to one of them in a minute that you didn't understand. But God went ahead and made you a benefactor of those things by His grace, not by your faith because you didn't understand that thing, but you still received it. But he went ahead. Now you're more mature, you're born again, you are responsible to seek God, to find out that thing, and to actually possess it by faith. And not rely on the grace of God to continue to bail you out of life's problems. I love the grace of God, don't get me wrong. And I need the grace of God for the calling I have. But I don't want to be still trying to relearn the things I learned 40 years ago or 20 years ago. I've got to move on. I've got to grow out a nappies. Diaper. Now, try to get a picture of this. We need to see that we need to have this we need to come in the presence of God consistently. We need to get there and learn to abide there. Now if we want to get to there, there's always an element of grace. For example, I'll give you three basic ways the church is approaching the presence of God. Okay? Generally. Number one, when they come to the presence of God, they try to do it through praise and worship. You had nice praise and worship tonight. And the Bible says that God inhabits the praise of His people. Is that right? Amen. So anytime any of us worship God, we praise Him, He will inhabit our praises. We can feel that. We felt it by the Spirit tonight. God was here. Also, Jesus is here. The Bible says, When two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. So all of this is happening by grace and by His Word. God is faithful even when we're not faithful. I've shared this illustration before, but in London, one of the biggest churches there they have a congregation of about 2,000 on Sunday. They have a lot of young people. They particularly come to that church for the praise and worship. Okay? And that's the focus of that church. That's why they have a lot of young people. Young people, they like the music. And they're dancing. And I guarantee when you go to that congregation, you'll feel the presence of God in the meeting. No problem. God is faithful even when we're not faithful. Even when we're ungodly, He is godly. You understand? But the worship leader in that church was committing adultery for six months before they caught Him. 
You think the Holy Spirit didn't know that? You think the Holy Spirit doesn't know what you're doing when you go home tonight? He sees what you're doing. The way you lust, the way you do things. He knows everything. So he overlooks that for the need of the greater. You see, God wants us to taste and see that he's good. Psalms, in the Psalms, it says that. The Bible says, taste and see that God is good. And he wants the church to taste that presence so they know what he feels like. But you can't live off tastes. You know, if you live off taste, you're going to become very fat. It's true. If all your, everything you eat, you just eat it because it tastes good. Usually the things that taste good are sweet. They're not good for you. I don't know if there's a law in this world, but the nicer it tastes, the worse it is for you. <laughs> Maybe because we haven't really submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our food and our eating. But sugar is what makes a lot of things taste good. Okay? And sugar, large quantities of sugar will eventually stress your pancreas and you'll end up with diabetes. Okay? So you're killing yourself slowly. It doesn't happen in the early years because your body can handle it. But every time you eat a bit of sugar, you know what happens. Your body's going, like that inside. It's trying to process that sugar. And if you keep doing it, it's like, dry, it's like taking a car and revving it. And we're not going anywhere. And eventually you wear the engine out. See? So what are you doing? Are you living for just a taste? Now God wants you to have a taste, but the church has made a career out of taste. Those are not good churches, okay? Some of those churches that have praise and worship only spend about 10 or 15 minutes in the Word of God. Some 30. But let me say, they don't teach a hard message like you're hearing tonight. They wouldn't dare do that. They'd lose half the congregation. Anyway, what I'm saying to you tonight, that's one way. And it doesn't matter how you've lived a life of sin or what you've done in this life up to this point. If you come and worship God, God is faithful, you'll feel the presence of God, okay? But some of the people who've fallen the most in sin are those who are worshipping God and leading churches around the world. So be careful. Don't presume on that grace. Don't presume. God says in His Word, I inhabit the praises of my people. But don't presume and don't say because the presence of God is here every Sunday or every day you worship God that your life is pure and holy because it's not. Okay? The second way to the presence of God is when we humble ourselves. The Bible says, God gives grace to the humble. Okay? Now don't forget, God's not blind. He can see everything. He sees the end from the beginning. To Him, He knows the end of the story and the beginning of the story. And when you start your little journey and you think, I'm going to get there eventually, he knows 
whether you're going to arrive at the right destination. But he knows you're not going to make it if you keep doing it in the flesh. So you can ask him. You say, Father, am I going to make it knowing all that I know at this moment in time? He'll say, no. He'll say, there are many things I have to teach you yet. You still don't know and you still don't appreciate. And that will make you more sensitive in your ability to hear those things. Okay? So make sure that you ask God that question. Because if you don't listen to the master builder, you're not going to do a work in the church. The master builder is Jesus, not you, not me. The only way I'm going to build and do the work of my Father is to listen to Jesus and the Father. And Jesus is the gateway to the Father, okay? No man cometh to the Father but through him. So, we can humble ourselves. Isn't God good? You see, you can make a career out of humbling yourself, and some have done that. Some churches even emphasize humility in their worship. They're not loud, they're not brash, but we have a freedom. You have a freedom to worship God with loud music, with dancing, with tambourines, and I want you to enjoy that freedom. So don't let anyone try to say we have to have this, you know, some sort of uh, you know, lower volume on the music. If you want to shout loud, dance, do whatever, that you have that freedom. But humility is a choice. You can humble yourself when a situation becomes difficult or hard. And again, like I say before, your life is just a series of ups and downs. When the pressure comes too much, you humble yourself. The pressure goes away because you get fresh grace from God. But then when the situation looks like it's okay, the old flesh comes back again and you take charge. You take over the reins again and you start using your brain to make decisions. And you're not qualified to do that because you don't know everything like God knows. But you're stupid enough to use your intellect to make decisions and again the problems come and the destruction starts to come your way what do you do you humble yourself again and you're just a roller coaster one of these days grace is going to run out on you if you keep doing that what you have to do is be humble there's a difference between humble and humbling yourself there's a difference okay you can humble yourself because of the circumstances, but you're not humble yet. It's a choice. You have to meditate on the fact that you are not qualified to be Lord of your own life. That's what you need to meditate upon. You need to think about how stupid you are compared to God. Even little decisions you're not able to make. Because you don't know the outcome. You don't know the end from the beginning. So even you don't even ask God so you don't even make the decision what you're going to wear you actually ask God what you're going to wear what time you get up in the morning what you eat for breakfast and you pray before you eat your food too mm-hmm. yeah so you make sure you do these things now if you do those things it's a good thing let me tell you something in 20 years I have never 
missed that sweet fellowship with God for 20 years. You may disagree. Come and live with me for a while if you, want, if you don't believe that I can do this. I can hear God faster than you can think. That's how fast. Okay? I can ask the Father, is that right? He'll say, no. Is that right? No. Is that right? No. Is that right? Yes. And do that faster than you can even get the question in your head. I've been doing that for 20 years. Why? What's kept me in the presence of God? What's kept me close to the Father? It's very simple. Praying about what clothes I wear in the morning. Praying about what time I get up in the morning. Because it forces me. It develops a good habit in me. You see, if I have to, if I have to ask God the question like, what do you want me to eat today? What restaurant do you want me to go to? Do you want me to eat at home? Do you want me to fast? If I'm asking all these questions and letting God direct my life, do you understand? For me to ask God a question and get an answer in about one second, which is what I do consistently, then I have to be in the spirit. If I'm in the flesh, it won't work. Do you understand? So I look forward to asking God. It's my protection. And if one morning I get up and I say, Father, what shirt do you want me to wear? And I ask him just like I normally do. I normally just say, Father, what shirt? I'm looking at all my shirts. Oh, by the way, do you like this shirt? Yes. It's nice, isn't it? The father picked this one today. I was looking through my shirts and he said, I want you to wear this one. So it's nice. Very nice. I told you I was handsome. Anyway, you just didn't believe me. Now, God can make you look handsome like me if you keep listening to him. You just don't listen to him enough. That's your problem. Now, this develops a good habit. Okay? Because it means that you're vulnerable. You can't have a holiday in the flesh. You can't have a pity party and say, Oh, I want to do what I want. I want to choose my idea. Because if you start thinking like that, you're in the flesh. And now, when you go to ask God, you don't even ask Him with the right attitude. Because you don't really want to hear what God says anyway. So He's not going to speak to you anyway. You're not meeting the condition to hear his voice. So now you're in problems. And so you go, oh God, I'm sorry, oh God, I'm sorry. But it doesn't quickly restore that fellowship, does it? Some Christians live their lives like that. Just surviving on worship. On humbling themselves. No wonder their lives are so shallow. But the third way that is often taught as the way to his presence, and I agree with that, is 1 John 1, 9. The Bible says, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So like I said, the blood of Jesus is not like the blood of animals. So let's try to get a picture of what it's saying here. Again, I'll give you another false teaching that's coming out of the church today. And again, beware of this doctrine. This doctrine says that because we're born again, we're righteous. That is an evil doctrine. It doesn't line up with Scripture. 
This scripture tells us the truth. It says that in the act of confessing our sins, if we've sinned against God, then not only do I have unconfessed sin, he has to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So righteousness, is, possessing true righteousness, is something you're supposed to seek. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you believe the report of some churches that say we're righteous, so we don't have to seek it, then you will ignore Matthew 6.33. Because you say, I'm righteous already, because I'm born again. My righteousness is found when I'm in Christ. It's not found when I'm in the flesh. The only way that I can really be righteous is to be consistently in Christ. Okay? So, but if I'm in and out, in and out all the time, I'm not righteous. Who knows the right thing to do? Can anyone tell me who knows the right thing to do all the time? Anybody? Do I know the right thing to do all the time? No, I don't, do I? Who knows the right thing to do all the time? God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You can talk to any one of them. They always know the right thing to do. So if you want to do the right thing, you've got to talk to one of those three. 1 John 3 and verse 7 it says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He who does the right thing is the righteous one. Okay? He who does the right thing is the righteous one. The word righteous here used, defined in the Greek, means right living and right doing. So if you want to have righteousness, true righteousness, you have to listen to the Spirit. Okay? If you're not listening to the Spirit, you're listening to the flesh, you're unrighteous. It's a choice. Now let's look at how we're really supposed to come in the presence of God. And that's what I want to deal with today. Because you can spend your whole life just confessing your sin, coming to meetings, humbling yourself, and you may have a testimony of encounters with God but in the end when you stand before Jesus he will say to you away from me evildoer I never knew you because you weren't consistent it's not about how many experiences and touches from God you have you remember the story of the woman with the bleeding and she came to Jesus and she desired to touch the hem of his garment. The hem of the garment of Jesus represents authority. Okay, so she reached out to touch that hem. The Bible says as soon as she touched the hem of his garment, he wouldn't have felt that. Do you understand? There's no way that it would transfer to his skin. But as soon as he touched as soon as she touched the hem of his garment, she was healed. And Jesus suddenly says a remarkable statement. He says, who, who touched the hem of my garment? How did he know that? By the Spirit. You think Jesus doesn't know who touched the hem of his garment? He knows everything, doesn't he? You see, he knew. And sometimes people come to me and I know who did it. 
Because I listen to the Holy Spirit and I can name your name. I know you did it. I don't need to know who touched the hem of my garment. See? But Jesus, this is how I imagine it happened. He was standing there. He probably looked up to the sky for the benefit of the disciples. And he said, who just touched the hem of my garment? <laughs> he knew who it was. He knew it was a woman. And this woman obviously just hoped that she could come in and touch the hem of the garment and go away again back to her old lifestyle and live like, and no one would know. Now, that's wrong. Do you understand? That's where some people are dying. Because they're quite happy to come and just get a little taste or a miracle or a healing or a blessing. And then they want to run back to their little lonely lives and be lord of their own lives again. If you live like that, you are going to die. You are going to die. Not me, you. You cannot do that. I'm not saying you won't get the healing. You'll probably get the healing. But if you want to have an intimate relationship with Jesus... You can't afford to live like You can't come and just touch the hem of his garment and go away back into your old lonely life. You're going to have to come and sit on his lap. That's what you're going to have to go to. Now, where does the Father live? Anyone tell me? Third heaven. Somebody say third heaven. That's where he lives. Beyond our stars, beyond our galaxy. The Bible says, even the heavens cannot contain our God. The Bible also says, the earth is his footstool. He's got a big shoe size. So, he's not the kind of person you can really fit in your front room. That's the one I'm supposed to get to know. The Father and Jesus. You know, one of the most undiscovered verses in the Bible is in John 17, 3. See, people think that eternal life is just going to heaven. A lot of the churches, you go to your congregation, wherever you're from. If you're visiting this congregation tonight, why don't you go back to your church and ask the people in your church, what's eternal life, and see what they say. You might be teaching the Bible, but they're not listening. Ask them. They'll probably say, eternal life means I'm born again. Or maybe eternal life means I'm going to heaven. Well, it is not. That's not what the Bible says. Heaven itself is going to be destroyed. Okay? The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will never pass away until it's all fulfilled. So heaven, according to the word of God, is going in the lake of fire. And if you're in it when it goes in the lake of fire, you're going in the lake of fire too. So you don't really want to play that game. Heaven is not permanent. It's not safe. Heaven is not safe like some people think it is. The only thing that's permanent according to the word of God is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Okay? So what's eternal life? Is it living forever? No. According to Jesus in John 17, 3, eternal life is the privilege that we can know the Father and the Son in a personal, intimate way the way a husband knows a wife. So, in very simple language, 
eternal life is knowing God. That's what it is. It's not being born again. It's not living forever. But how many churches around the world actually believe that truth? Very few. You might have seen that verse. You might have discovered it yourself. But you go and test your congregations. They don't seem to know. Because if you make them write down on a piece of paper or tell you what they think eternal life is, they give the wrong answer, which proves they don't know it. Now, let's look at how we come in the presence of God. First of all, we have to confess our sins. Very important. Sin is what separates me from God. So really, the right way to approach the presence of God is to confess your sins. Now, how should I confess my sin? Admit it first. Start with, I did it. You might have heard this before, but I was the one who sinned. Not somebody else, not my mother-in-law, not the pastor. Me. I was the offender. I was the one who committed the sin. Also, you need to declare that God was there. He was there to make and provide the right way for you to go. You chose. You chose to do the wrong thing. The right way was there. You can't say God wasn't there to help you. He was there to help you. He is everywhere. And the Bible says, God's grace is sufficient. Do you believe that? That means any time you're in a situation which is very difficult, almost impossible to see how you can make, your, make the right way, the grace of God is sufficient. Whether you're poor, rich, facing trials, difficulties, the grace of God is sufficient. When you sin, you've rejected the grace of God. So you need to include that in your confession. That you chose to not believe, you had unbelief in you. In order for you to sin, you have to go against the word of God and choose to do it your way. Let's look at one, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Least I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation... There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. For this thing I sought the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then it says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So how many people have an attitude like that? We have what we call the prosperity movement. They don't take pleasure in those things. They take pleasure in the nice cars they have, and the hotel rooms, and the comfortable life that they lead. Okay, no, Paul said, I take pleasure. What does pleasure mean? It means you rejoice. 
It means you rejoice in infirmities. Some of you may be suffering from a disabilitating disease or a hardship. You may have a nasty mother-in-law at home. Take pleasure in your mother-in-law. Because she's going to help you get to the fullness and the measure and the statue of Christ. Because every time she gets angry with you and shouts at you, you have two choices. You can either react, get in the flesh, or you can remain in the spirit. It's your choice. It's only a choice. But if you react, well then it just proves you're not ready for the high calling of God on your life yet. So now you, you can have another go and another go. So tell your mother-in-law at home, don't stop speaking badly about me because I need your help, you see. Because she's going to prove whether you're in the spirit or in the flesh. I also train people. And when I'm training people, I take a sharp stick. You know what a sharp stick is? And I stick it in your side every time you get in the flesh. You're not going to like me. I don't believe in Bible college. But you can come to my college. And when you come to my college, I have the stick and you don't get the stick. And every time you do something out of your reasoning and understanding, I'm going to take that stick and I'm going to jab it in your side. You're going to go, ow. <laughs> and when I do it once or twice, you might say, well, you know, Brother Keith, okay, I'll forgive him. But when I start doing it regularly, you're going to start judging me. You're not going to like me, but I'm going to keep jabbing it in the side until you stop being in the flesh. And when I see you thinking like this and you're using your little brain and you're starting to make decisions with your mind, I'm going to jab you in the side. Now, it's not the way that most people want to be trained, but it's the training that I had. And it's the way I trained the men of God. Because after a while, when you feel that sharp stick going in your side, you're going to quit doing it. Paul had the same situation. He said, because of the multitude of the knowledge and revelation he had, he was getting puffed up. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. So when you get a lot of knowledge, your balloon starts rising. It's slow, but it goes... And you're starting to swell up. But you don't realize it's gradual. The Bible says you're not supposed to be a hearer of the word only, but a doer. The Word of God is a very dangerous book, this Bible here. If you want to read it a lot, that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But when you read it and God speaks you through it, you have to put it into practice. If you don't, clock is ticking. And after a while, God will require it of you. Not initially, but after a while, He's going to expect you to put that in your life. So you can't just sit down and just read, 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 which is what they do at Bible college. They just read and study and read and study. That doesn't give you time to apply the Word, you see. And some revelation that we receive from time to time is big. And it, we have to really dig deep into our lives and repent and humble ourselves. And it's not something you can apply in one day. 
It may take you a month before you can finally apply that scripture. But God doesn't seem to notice how we live such busy lives, does he? He just speaks his word. And we have to adjust our busy lifestyles and fit with God's word rather than adjust God's word to fit our busy lifestyles. Do you fear God? Do you know that God will judge you for every word he has spoken to you? The Bible says his word will never pass away until it's all fulfilled. So, we've got to make sure that we understand what God is doing in our life. So he is, he's the one with the sharp stick on Paul's life. And he used a demonic spirit. And that's why Paul said it's like a thorn in the flesh. When he got in the flesh, it was like jab. It poked in him. But as long as he was in the spirit, it's no problem. Because in the presence of God is fullness of joy. Also, when you're in the spirit, the devil can't get to you. Okay? When you're in Christ, we know that the devil can find no place in Christ. So when you're really in Christ, the devil can't get to you. He can only get to you when you get in the flesh. So these are the things you have to learn. And Paul had to learn them. So he began to glory in his infirmities because they forced him to acknowledge God. You see, when you have an infirmity, it slows you down. But that means you have to take a little bit of extra time to do something so you can keep up with the rest of them. You know, all these young people are running around. Yes? But you, because you have an infirmity, it's like... Okay, I have to take my vitamin pills in the morning or whatever it is. <laughs> or I have to do my exercise. I have to keep myself in good shape. When I was younger, I didn't need to take care of this little fat belly. Now I have to. So I like that. You see, now some people complain. Oh, I wish this tummy would go away. No. I rejoice because it forces me. I now have to acknowledge God. And if I get too fat, then I know I'm in the flesh. I know that I'm not walking with God. See? And I'm making excuses. So watch people who are fat. So let's rejoice in infirmities. Any, anything that forces us to acknowledge God and slow down and do something and... It develops a good habit, a humble spirit. Okay? So that's what Paul learned. Now, we're still trying to come in the presence of God. Okay? Now, if we want to come in the presence of God, we have to do a good confession. A good confession includes three things. Number one, it's you recognize that you did it. You sinned. Number two, that God was there. He was not absent. The Bible says, the Lord is not far from all of us. The Lord is at hand. So he's always there. You can't say that you couldn't go to God. He's close. The Bible says, draw near unto him and what? And he will draw near unto you. So he's not going to be close to you if you don't draw near to him. Okay? So don't say he's not there. He is there. You're just not feeling his presence. And number three... You have to understand the grace of God was sufficient for you to do the right thing, not to do the wrong thing. 
And that should be included in your confession of sin. When you do that, I believe then you'll be able to enter the presence of God. Now, the kingdom of God is here now, yes? Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. It says, For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, that word there in the Greek means right living and right doing, okay? It's not justification, it's righteousness, different word. It says, For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the old King James, but Holy Spirit, if you want to know. Okay, so, this is when you're in the Holy Spirit. This is joy and peace. This is what the presence of God is like. It's joy, peace, living in the Spirit. When you come to the presence of God, you have to cross the boundary. The kingdom of God is like any country. It has immigration. Okay? When you come to immigration, they check you. They check your passport. They check that you've got all the right paper, that you've got your visa. You must make sure that you're trusting only in the blood of Jesus. You must come there and there must be no sin, no contraband. They don't allow sin into the kingdom of God. So you come to the border, they check you, they make sure you have no sin. At that point, when you believe, you have to have faith, because anything that's not a faith is sin, so now you can enter. But at this point, many believers stop, because of an, a surprise to them. They find themselves on the edge of God's presence, and they see the bright light. You see, the Bible says God is light and there is no darkness in Him. So the moment you step into the kingdom of God, the first thing that happens is the bright light comes on. And you know, uh, years ago I was, um, I was arrested by the KGB, the secret police in Romania. They arrested me. I was smuggling Bibles, but they didn't get the Bibles. <laughs> But the first thing they did is they sat me down in front of this, in this desk. It was a dark room. And literally, I'm telling you, it's just like the movies. There was a guy sitting in front of me and he shone a bright light into my face. Before he started asking me questions. So, when you come into the presence of God, the first thing you experience is a bright light. What do you think that light does? It dispels darkness. But it also exposes things. Things that you may not see when the light was off. And when you come into the presence of God, one thing that happens is you start seeing yourself as you really are with all your deficiencies. And most people at that point are quite happy just to stop on the border and say, uh, uh, let, let, let me just stay here. I can feel the presence. So why do I need to go further? See, right in front of you is a bright light. And the last thing you want to do is run towards the light. But Paul said, he said, run boldly to the throne of grace. Now this is where a lot of Christians mess up. Because they feel the heat. 
They feel the light of God's glorious presence. And they're quite satisfied to say, okay, I, I've come this far. I'll just visit. Even the children of Israel said to Moses, they looked at the mountain and they saw the fiery cloud come down. And they said, Moses, hey, you just go ahead. You talk to God and you just tell us what he says and we'll do what you say. They lied. They didn't do what he said. They were still in their sins. And that's what a lot of believers are doing. They're just sitting on the mountain and there's the fiery cloud. Ooh, I don't want to go up there. <laughs> and they'll sit there. Now, like I say, Paul said, run. It's important instruction. Run. Do you feel like a bit of exercise today? You need to. In the kingdom of God, you're going to get some. Because you've got to run. This is not a journey that you do by walking. This is a journey you do by running. Don't walk this. If you walk it, you won't make it. You know why? Because if you walk slowly like some people, you know in the Philippines, you walk slow. But if you walk this, you know you won't make it because as you get closer and closer to the light source, you start seeing another sin and another sin and another sin. And after a while, you say to yourself, Oh, God, I don't think you're going to like me. And you start thinking twice. Your faith starts to waver. Because you're not sure that God will accept you. Especially when you see that sin. I didn't know God knew that sin. This is not a journey to be walked. This is a journey to run. Paul was very specific. And what you have to do is run to the throne of grace and jump. You, this is for the athletic type. See, some of you young people, you haven't done this yet, but you, you need to come my way. You need to get like athletic like me. I'm a runner because I know how to run to the throne of grace. And I ran that distance and I ignored some of the sins that I could see being exposed and put on my screen. But all I focused on was Christ sitting on that throne in his glorious state. And even Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the angels were around him and the cherubim and they sang Holy, holy is the Lord your God. You see, this is what happens. But you've got to get to that throne. And the Father is sitting there. And that's where you've got to aim at. You've got to aim at the Father's lap. And one day, God exposed my sin. And the sin he showed me was the most evil sin in me. I mean, I couldn't imagine that anyone else could know it. He revealed a sin in me. And I felt totally unworthy. Yet, somehow I felt his love. And I decided it was possible for me to get to that throne. I got through the immigration. I confessed my sins properly. I acknowledged that I didn't really trust him. He wasn't my first love. And I got through immigration successfully. 
Now I'm on the other side. In front of me is the throne of grace. And I just went for it. I just, I didn't, I couldn't close my eyes. I had to look where I was going. <laughs> but I ran that distance. It's quite far, but I ran. And I jumped into the Father's lap, and I'm sitting there. Nothing's happening at the moment. And then I felt his arms move, and they came around and held me. And I just knew it was going to happen like that. I just knew. I had faith because I had the early experience. And when I sat there, I started to think about some of the things that happened in my life in the last few days. And I said, Father, can I ask you just one question? I didn't know I could ask God questions in those days. But I said, Father, can I ask you one question? Can you tell me a sin that you want me to deal with? Because, you see, I'd fallen in love with God. And I knew that the only thing that was separating me from being with the Father and being with Jesus was my sin. And I shared with him my fears and, and things. But I said, Father, I know you love me. Give me your commands. Tell me what you want me to do. Because I want to deal with my sin. I don't want to make excuses. I've made excuses all my life for my sin. But now i found the truth. You love me. And you made it possible for me to make this journey today. So I say, show me my sin. Psalm 51 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to thy multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. David never lost sight of his sin. Against thee. Can you pray this prayer? Can you pray this? David did. He was a king. He said, against thee only have I sinned. Only have I sinned. And done evil in thy sight. That thou might judge me. And when thou speakest, you are clear when you judge me. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thy desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and thou shalt be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, that thou, God, of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim and show forth your praise. For thou desire not sacrifice, else I would give it. If thou delightest, that thou delightest not in burnt offerings, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, 
thou will not despise. Do good in, thy, in the good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon the altar. Well, just a couple of points on this. David said here, Cast me not away from your presence and take the Holy Spirit from me. Under the old covenant, the blood of animals only covered the sin. But the blood of Jesus removes the sin. So now, when you were born again, your spirit was sealed. The Holy Spirit came in you. And you can't lose the Holy Spirit. But under the old covenant, you will. Well, they did. Okay? So he prayed this prayer. So you don't need to pray that bit. But know this. That when you sin, the Spirit of God, if you're really born again, will grieve within you. Okay? So you should be... One thing I want all of you to do on this conference before you go out, this seminar or teaching... I want you to go away tonight and I want you to get before God and find out what you need to do to soften your heart to the Holy Spirit. Because He should be operating in you efficiently. It's very hard to sin when you really live in the Spirit. Very hard. Because as soon as you start to even think about sin, the Spirit of God within you will start grieving so you need to get back to that place there are many different ways to the presence of God one day I remember I'll tell this story but I was in a service I'm from the Pentecostal background so on this occasion I was going to the church and I always made it my goal before I went to the service that I was in the spirit that was my goal don't come to this church and make excuses. You should be in the Spirit before you get here. Okay? You don't rely on the praise and worship team. Okay? That's the rule. If you were in my ministry, I would check you when you came in. You'd pass through the scanner. And then as you go through, they x-ray you to see if you're in the Spirit. If you're in the flesh, you'll turn around and go back out again. Okay? You do your confessing of sin outside. When you can, you come back in. Now... So I was walking in that truth, but this particular day I had really tried hard to get back in the presence of God, and I'd failed completely. And that morning I drove in, I made sure I was early to the service, and the pastor was there, he parked his car in the car park. I came in with my car, and instead of just parking in any parking slot, for some reason my little brain was well in charge of my life, I parked my car right next to his. But my driving was a bit off. And as I drove in, I knocked his wing mirror clean off the car. My wife looked at me like that and she said, You're not in the spirit this morning. So I had a little confirmation there. We went in the service. I was praying, confessing, trying to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But my confession was not. I was trying to rush it. And eventually I'm sitting down. And the communion's coming round. And they had the bread. We took the bread. Now it came to the blood. The little, we have little cups. I don't know if you do it this way, but a little uh, plastic cup. And in it, it's got just enough for one. Well, I took that. And as I took that cup, it spilled out of my hand. 
And you know that's full of red juice and I had a white shirt on. And as I knocked it out of my hand, the red juice went all down my lovely white shirt. And as I did, I just started laughing. And my wife started laughing, and I was laughing, and we were both laughing at me. And I suddenly realized, God loves me. And I found myself back in the presence of God. So there are many ways to the presence of God, but there's only one way to stay in the presence of God and that's to do what he says Matthew 7:21 Matthew 7:21 says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only those who do the will of my father is in heaven so here's the simple rule if you want to live in the spirit you have to do what the spirit says if you want to live in Christ you have to do what Christ says if you want to live in the kingdom of God you have to do what the father says